Today, our conversation is with Lucy Santana, who's currently the CEO at Girls Inc. of Orange County, California. But what's really great about her story is that she wasn't always a leader or someone with obvious leadership potential. She started life as the shy and timid youngest girl of seven siblings, raised in Santa Ana, California, by parents who were Mexican immigrants. So you're gonna be really inspired by Lucy's story, I think, a, a story of finding her voice and growing to become a passionate and impactful advocate for girls to be strong, smart, and bold. Enjoy the conversation. You're listening to The Inspired Wave. Stories of everyday heroines, real life inspiration. I'm your host, transformational coach and connection catalyst, CJ Rivard. Join me weekly to hear real life inspiration and tips for tackling your life's challenges. Each week you'll hear from a relatable woman who shares about her struggles and the tools she used to work through them. By being women of courageous action, vision, and ongoing evolution, each of us can create a ripple of positive impact and together, we'll create a wave of change. Join us. Well, welcome everyone. We have a great show lined up for you today with Lucy Santana. Lucy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, CJ. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, well, I was just going to say, why don't you tell everyone where you're dialing in from? to start with because they just heard a little bit about what you do but uh, where are you in the world i'm actually in orange county california so it's sunny and it's about 65 degrees today so i'm, I'm not complaining all right yes i wouldn't be either i'm complaining but no <laughs> not that warm here where i am and any little tidbit you'd like to share so we can get to know you that we wouldn't necessarily read on your website Absolutely. So I've had the pleasure of being the Chief Executive Officer for Girls Inc. of Orange County for 22 years. And my passion really is around leadership and empowerment, right? But it's really about the way that I give back to my community. And I love that everything comes full circle. In a lot of circumstances, we all don't get to be you know, we don't get to live our life exactly where we were born and we were raised and where we provide programs. And in my case, I love the fact that I can be out in my community on a weekend and I can run into maybe a donor, a friend, a Girls Inc. girl who we've served. And it just really adds to the passion of what I have that I know that I can see the impact of the work that's happening each and every day. For sure. Yeah. With a, your local chapter and impact you're having that's yeah that's great it's so hard when you you know you're doing something like let's say when all of us make a donation online but when you don't see it and have some way of personally connecting i'm sure you do that in your nonprofit with storytelling it's so hard when you don't see it you want to be able to connect with where that's actually going and what you're doing. That's incredible. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm continuously asking my team, tell me about, you know, some stories of some girls that you're, you know, you've come across, or I try to invite myself into programs as well, just so I can hear the interaction from the girls, because I think that that's 
truly when I can show an example of how exactly how you said the impact that we're making, but really be able to say that this girl learned about this and she shared how she was able to implement it into her life in a real life situation. I think that's what's key and important because sometimes you don't know, especially when you're working with youth, right? Are they really listening and how are they taking in the information and are they really understanding how they can implement it to make a, you know, good decisions, I guess. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because you, you might not see that immediately today, but over time, certainly. That's great. So um, why don't you take us back and tell us a little bit about your childhood and what got you to the point of being so passionate about the work you do? Where, uh, what was it like? Where'd you grow up? And Sure, absolutely. I'll try to be as succinct. So I am actually, I was, I was born here in Orange County, specifically in Santa Ana. And I am one of seven, and my parents immigrated to the United States from Mexico when my oldest two sisters were like one or two years old. So the rest of us were born here in Orange County. My mother was a stay-at-home mom because there were several of us. And um, so I had the benefit of, you know, I see it as a benefit. I had a benefit of coming home after school every day to a mom who was home, right, and had the opportunity to really spend time with her which I really appreciate now as an adult, because I think when we're younger, sometimes we don't appreciate it all the time. And had a dad who worked in the factory all his working life. You know, he was a blue collar worker and got up at four o'clock in the morning, came home by 6 p.m. But what I always remember is that fact that even though they have maybe a third through a fifth grade education, education was always something they talked to us about. You know, when you grow up and you go to college, it was always the conversation about, really making sure that we were going to take advantage of the fact that of everything that was available to us here in the United States. So I, I had the pleasure of growing up in a very big household that was very rambunctious, but at the same time, also grew up at a time where I was taught to be respectful and quiet and not speak up because that was just kind of a cultural thing that you learned. And so I bring this up because, you know, when you talk about the work that I'm doing now, it's just, I'm such a different person. I grew up being very shy, very quiet, not very outspoken. And if somebody had told me through my youth and my teens that I would be in a role now where I am, I could easily be one speaking through a podcast and telling everybody my story or in front of an audience speaking about my passion for Girls Inc. and why it's so important to an audience of three to 500 people or doing interviews on, you know, for a newscaster, I would have been like, yeah, right, that's, that's never going to happen. And it, and it was really painful growing up in that space for that reason. Yeah, having to, to be quiet. And yeah. So do you feel like this is the more of you and who you were meant to be? Like you were kind of, I don't want to say silenced, I'm sure, but you were taught to be silent and it really wasn't you. I think so. I, I think it took a while for me to figure that out, but it was, I certainly feel like that created the situation where I was more of a follower rather than a leader. And so, you know, I really just sort of learned to go along with a crowd, you know, whether it was with my neighborhood friends or whether it was at home, you know, did the things that, that happened. But I feel like as I went into middle school and high school and really started expanding my horizon and learning more, 
you know, then that's when I realized that. And I had a pivotal moment for me anyway, was that I started at a high school where I knew no one. My parents moved. And so I was in a new area. And that was where I feel I had that moment that I said, you know, nobody knows me here. I don't have to be the old quiet Lucy. It doesn't mean, you know, but nobody really knows that. And so I can be anybody that I want to be. And I remember putting that in my mind, not really knowing exactly how I was going to do that, but going into my classes and turning around and talking to the person next to me, like, hi, you know, like, and thinking, like, I remember my anxiety of thinking when it comes to lunchtime, who am I going to sit with? Who am I going to talk to? I don't know anybody here. And I remember like inviting myself because I thought the worst they can say is no, right? But I'm like, hey, what are you doing for lunch? Can we have lunch together? So I feel like that was the catalyst. And I feel that at 14, that was pretty insightful of me because nobody was really feeding me that or telling me that I should do that. I was going to say that was very mature and brave when you hadn't been that person to just kind of picture it and step into that role. And then you were doing it just like that. How easy is that? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And it could have been a whole different situation, but thankfully, you know, I was able to connect with other individuals that, you know, are now lifelong friends. I mean, we talk about the fact that we met when we were 14 and it's pretty amazing. That's great. So what happened? How did you get into nonprofit work or, you know, the passion that you live every day now? Let me start by saying that, you know, I had one situation that happened to me in high school that I think was pivotal for me to, again, be thinking about what kind of work I wanted to do in the future. But I didn't know exactly what that meant. I didn't know that it was, you know, finding my voice and and speaking up for myself. But I had a high school counselor who I had gone to and said, hey, you know, my friends who have other counselors are talking to them about going to college, taking the SATs. And you haven't called me in to talk about my future, my going to college. And Frankly, this is exactly what he told me. He's like, well, you're an average student, mediocre grades, you're a Latina, and you're probably going to end up dropping out of college if you go and end up pregnant. And I remember like thinking, wow, like, but I internalized it. I never told anybody. Like I internalized it, walked away thinking, well, that's a bust, right? Like, wait a minute. You know, I didn't know at that point, and I guess I must have been 16, 17, that obviously that was terrible (laughs) that he told me that. But I remember one of my best friends who her last name started with an A and had a different counselor. I said, I'm going to go with you to your next appointment, you know, with your counselor. And I just tagged along, you know, and I sort of said like, hey, well, Mr. X told me this to that, this. And he was like, don't worry about it. We're going to work on it. You know, we're going to, I'm going to take you on that path. So I think that was the first experience of when I feel like, That was so awful that somebody would be telling that. And I never thought that he could be telling that to a whole bunch of other students, right? So when I fast forward into going into college, that was another pivotal point for me is being exposed to so much, right? And I had the option to what classes I wanted to take and so forth. So I really feeling like I was in a place where I really wanted to, I didn't want to be a teacher per se, like a classroom teacher, but I wanted to help people, right? That was kind of my mantra. I want to help people. So really getting into sociology, I went into, I started taking criminal justice classes and I became infatuated with criminal justice classes about 
the mind of a criminal and what makes them do what they do. But then as I took more criminal justice classes, it really was really about where does it start? And it starts when they're younger and it starts, you know, in their upbringing and their nurturing and their environment. And so that's what really got me excited and really interested in saying, how could I make a difference in that way? So, you know, I'd always worked uh, full time and to put myself through college because, uh, you know, I needed to do that. And I finally said, I have to do an internship to figure out what I want to do. And so I took an internship in a program that worked with first time offenders. And that's where I really started seeing the difference that you can make. You know, these kids had made bad choices, you know, but it didn't mean that their life was over. And this program was giving them that second chance. Like if they went through, learn about the ways that they could have made better decisions. And what I loved about this program, it was held in the courthouse and they would put them in a jail cell, you know, and kind of like a scare them kind of tactic, but also bringing in a lot of speakers that spoke to them about like, hey, I was, you know, I had an incident when I was younger, but it didn't define me. And I was able to do this. And the other thing for me was that most of these kids were kids of color, kids from under-resourced communities. So they were very pigeonholed into one kind of, you know, this is it, right? Like this is, you're destined to be this. And I've really felt like there's so much more for these kids and these kids were so smart. They were being put in a box like you were by your guidance counselor, right? Yes. 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 So that was the next step of like, that was my home moment. This is what I want to do. And so I really, when I thought maybe I wanted to do more like, you know, probation officer, kind of that work, I was like, no, I think that where I could do more of a difference is in working in the prevention side of it. And like, let's do programming that helps them to find confidence and helps them to find their strengths early on rather than getting there. And I think the other piece for me was really around because I was working in a community where there was a lot of under-resourced, you know, kids that were low income, you know, their parents worked all the time. I had the, you know, I had the opportunity that my mom was home and there was already somebody home. But by the time, you know, this was the eighties, a lot, a lot of latchkey kids, you know, a lot of kids that didn't have a lot of guidance after school. And so, you know, in the community that I was working with, it was really important to find alternatives for them to get involved with, you know, and because parents were so focused on working and just putting food on the table, not having a lot of time to really know different of how to guide their kids. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you get involved with Girls Inc? And I want to hear more about that program because before I hit record, you mentioned that it is kind of all over the place. There's a lot of chapters. So absolutely. So I was working for a gang prevention program and city program where we did a lot of after-school programs for at-risk kids. And I actually came across Girls Inc. by accident. I was looking for some information to do a girls conference. I thought, I'm going to do a girls conference. This is kind of the, I work with both boys and girls. And when I came across the Girls Inc. website, I was like, I need to work there. You know, I wasn't looking for a job or anything like that. Anyway, fast forward, I had the opportunity to go apply for a job. It just happened to be they had a job opening and I applied for a job as their program director and came in and really learned about the programs and really just, this is where I want to be. And it just really took me back to being 16 and 17 and thinking, what could have been my response to that high school counselor when he told me that, right? What could have been my plan of action in terms of what I could have done? So When I think about the Girls Inc. mission statement of inspiring girls to be strong, smart, and bold, 
it really resonated with me and it really took me back to like, well, how can I be smarter? How can I be stronger? And how can I be bolder in my actions? Even as a, as a young adult, right? Which, you know, I was in my late twenties and just kind of thinking about that. But the work that we do resonates with me because we work with girls that were just like, you know, we work with girls that are coming from the same similar circumstances and communities. And even though we are, we serve all girls. So I don't want to say that 100% of the girls that we serve are that. What I think is important about the programming that we do through Girls Inc. is that despite your socioeconomic background, whatever city you might live in, these are issues that affect girls, you know, no matter what. You know, we're talking about confidence, body image, you know, staying healthy, mental, you know, socially, you know, social and emotional and mental health and how important that is because we are our first critics, right? We are the first people that individuals that we put our doubts into us. And we talk a lot with girls about the imposter syndrome, you know, which as an adult, I still go through those moments once in a while when I'm the only Latina in the room or I'm the only CEO woman in the room or things of that nature. And I think that that's why, you know, the power of what we do with young girls, starting as young as kindergarten all the way through college, is about giving them opportunities to understand who their support systems are around them. We always encourage them that their family should be their first source of support, but it's not always going to be the case, right? And so how to seek support outside of your first circle and how, and those concentric circles of like who am, it overlaps with you. So we're doing this work nationally. We are part of a national organization that has about 78 chapters nationally and a couple of, of affiliates in Canada as well. But our mission statement is the same and we all serve the same girls. But really, when we focus on the programming, it is really important that girls are learning about financial literacy, you know, career options. We do a lot of work, especially here in Orange County, around college and career readiness. And that's been my passion because I know how important that is. Because if somebody is not, if the person you think is going to be your advocate and your source of leadership in that is not going to be the person, then you better know what classes you need for college, what you need to get yourself into college and not rely on anybody else. Wow. So how many girls do you serve in your chapter? Well, I'm really proud to say that in 2021, you know, when we had, we still had about half a year of COVID and we served about 4,800 girls. We just literally, this is, this number is hot off the presses. We do an annual report and pre-COVID, we were serving about 4,000 girls. 2020 was difficult, but we did we did pivot and we provided online programming and virtual programming. We served maybe about 3,000 girls, but now we've come back stronger and we're at 4,800 girls that we served in 2020. And that's because we were able to go back in person and go back to serving girls through our school partners, which is our typical model of how we, how we reach our girls in our programs. Through the schools? like you Mostly. We do. And and what we learned through COVID also was what were our strengths, right? And, you know, when we talk about, you and I were chatting about, you know, what does WAVE mean and, you know, the ease for evolution. It was really for us, not only did we pivot immediately, but we really evolved. And what we learned were what were the strengths of our program and which were those programs that would do really well virtually and we can keep them virtually because that's what really helped us. We were now able to reach more girls across the county and even beyond our county. And then also, what programs we absolutely needed to go back in person because girls really needed that personal connection. And mm -hmm. even though we don't do one-on-one -on -one mentoring, we really feel that our team members 
are well prepared to do group mentoring with our girls, you know, so they're not only just our educators, but they're our mentors and coaches for these girls. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So if somebody is in your area or looking at chapters elsewhere, what do you recommend they check out to possibly help or get involved? Or what's the path forward if somebody's interested in, in Girls Inc.? Well, I'm really proud to say that we have a quite a variety of ways to get involved. And one of the things that I will say is there, if they're a student, there's opportunities to do internships within our organizations. And I'm very proud that several of our team members came in through either being a volunteer or an intern and then became an educator and now are a coordinator. We also have been able over time to hire some of our Girls Inc. alumna that have gone through our program, went to college, and now are com- you know have come back and doing that. But from a volunteer basis, we actually are able to take individuals that want to volunteer in person or virtually. We have volunteer needs in our early literacy program. If they want to work with our kindergartners through third graders in reading out loud and helping them to, to really learn to love to read. We also have programs where, you know, you, we have an annual college shower, which we want our girls the first shower in their life to be a college shower, not a wedding shower or a baby shower. We want the That was the whole concept of putting together a college shower, but we celebrate over 100 girls every year graduating from high school and going on to college. So we need volunteers that can help us assemble baskets. We need volunteers that might reach out to their networks and help us gather the items for the baskets. And then, of course, as as a nonprofit, you know, we need that expertise. So if you have a certain expertise in something, that's really great if you can attend one of our fundraising events, that's also amazing. And the last opportunity that I will say from a business perspective is, I mentioned that we do a lot around college and career readiness. We have a program where we call it Girls Meet the Workforce, and it really is about accelerating girls into the workplace. And so what we do is girls apply for the program and they go through a pretty intensive four-month training program about the world of work. Everything from etiquette, resume writing, you know, how to do PowerPoint presentations, how to attend a meeting. And then what we do is we work with our business partners in the community to host a girl at their work site to have some real, you know, real time mentoring experience. And and now, because we know it works, we either do it in person or we can do a virtual um, option as well. And so this is a way for people that might own their own business or work for, you know, a company that would be willing to host a girl. Very important to us. We have about 115 girls to place this year alone for this summer. That is one. That's got to be a popular program. That's that's a great experience for them and for the people hosting as well. Absolutely. We've gotten feedback from some of the work sites that they're saying your girls were more prepared than my college interns, which of course makes us feel really great to, to hear that. But Absolutely. Going on our girlsinc-oc.org website, they can find all of that information on there as well. Great. So is there any, I don't know, final words of encouragement or advice you would give someone who, you know, it's easy for someone to sit back and think, well, you know, that's all well and good for you. You've been at this for 20 some years. You know, you're obviously a, a leader making a real difference, but someone who has not found their niche or the, you know, where they can make an impact. So maybe, you know, looking at yourself back a little ways ago, 
what's something you learned or advice you would share with someone who's looking for that difference that they were meant to bring? I would say a couple of things. One is there's so much along the way that I had to go through, right? And I'm not going to say that it was, you know, hardships or anything like that, but certainly for women, there is still difficulty sometimes in the workplace, right? Like, you know, who gets to have a seat at the table and who gets to participate? And, you know, in applying for jobs, you know, do you have all the right skill sets you need and, you know, the competitiveness, right? And also just work-life balance for women. I mean, that's just the reality of it. You know, we cannot, I mean, as much as we've made a lot of strides for women, there still is a lot of things that we have to manage through. And the first thing I will say is, and I know, you know, this is sort of cliche-ish, but you can't have it all. You have to make choices and we have to make choices that are going to work for us, right? At the end of the day, we have to feel good about that. But if I was going to impart any kind of words of wisdom, I guess I would say a couple things that I did early on was one, as I mentioned, when I was 14, I'm not really sure where that came from, but it was like, I'm going to change. I'm going to, this is where I feel that needs to come out of me, right? So I had to learn to not be afraid of people saying no or rejecting me or, Mm. or, you know, putting me down. I think that was the first thing we have to learn to be resilient, right? And not to take it personal. I think the other thing is I would see women who were doing some really great things or jobs that sounded really cool, but I, I, and I would just do my homework, right? Like I'd be like, Oh, I think, you know, if I want to be a director of communications for X, Y, and Z organization, let me try to get a hold of that job description. Let me try to figure out what are the skill sets, right? What are those hard skills you need? What are the soft skills you need? That was the first thing, because I felt like it's on me to learn what I don't know, right? Whether it's a skill, a class I have to take or what have you, because I think there's always that part of the job that you, that you want. And then the other piece was, Again, not really, you know, is that person willing to meet me for coffee? Can I reach out to that person? It might be a cold call sometimes, or I might say, hey, does anybody know this person? And just reaching out and saying, will you indulge me in 15, 20 minutes of just having a conversation about what was your journey to get to where you're at? Because I think that a lot of times we can be shy or fearful and we don't reach out to other women. And I think that that's just something that we need to continue to do is build our network of supporters, of champions, mentors, and coaches. And up to this day, I still, I have a coach, you know, and and I will seek them out sometimes and say, would you be willing to like meet with me for coffee two or three times so I can pick your brain, you know? And I really feel like there's a lot of value. And I also feel like I'm a life learner. So I'm always learning something new or I may have forgotten about something, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. That's something I could be doing. So I think that's one. The other is I think, not being again, it goes back to I, I now kind of live this mantra, right? Because I've, I've, you know, people will ask me, Are you the founder of Girls Like? Absolutely not. We've been around for over 100 years. I said, But strong, smart, and bold resonates with me, you know, because, and in different situations in my life, I always have to ask myself, Am I being smart? Am I being strong? What do I need to do to be strong in this situation? And where do I need to bring my bold on, you know, like, And we talk to our girls about learning how to be assertive. You don't have to be aggressive, be assertive and and assert yourself. And I think that practicing that, I think also is really key and important. You mentioned one thing there that I just want to go back to and highlight for everyone, because I think, you know, a lot of people think 
that you get to a certain point and you've arrived. You know, you get the title. I want to be in the corner office or I, I'm going to get to X, Y, and Z. And the best, the greatest leaders don't stop learning because we are always works in progress. And there's always something that can improve, but yet so many, you know, the ego gets in the way and, you know, but I'm, I'm already in this position. I know, and you can always learn, listen, learn, pick up something from somebody else's ideas to be open to them. So I think that's really powerful, Lucy, and I appreciate you bringing it up because we should always be learning. And I am sure that's what helped your organization evolve um, <laughs> over the last 22 years, but especially with what went on in the last couple. You have to learn and grow and not be afraid of trying new things. Right. And I think, you know, and, and on top of that, I think it's also as a leader, I'm not the smartest person in my organization, you know, and I've surrounded myself by individuals that are amazing and that together we have been able to bring success to our organization. And I, I am not afraid to like give somebody the accolades and the recognition they deserve for that because they bring, I open up that opportunity to be creative and to say, but I have an idea. Could maybe we do this differently? And I will also say is that I got a lot of no's when I reached out to some people about like, hey, will you have coffee with me or what have you? So I feel like now when I get calls or emails from college students that are almost getting ready to graduate, that that happens a lot. I indulge them in that. And I, I say that with the greatest respect is that I tell them I may only have 15, 20 minutes, but ask away, ask me what you need or want. And because I feel like any tidbits that I can give them to avoid a mistake or to do this or that, I think is really great. And I, and I love the fact that, as you mentioned when we were talking, is the nonprofit sector and the social sector of the work that we do is so critical and important. The needs are never going to go away. We can eradicate things to a certain degree, but there's always cycles, right? And so our work, as important as it is, when COVID hit and we needed to focus on the homeless and the food, shelter, mm -hmm and all of that, that was really important. But what we also had to think about was what was the happening with these young girls that now went from one day to another to a home isolation situation and what was happening with their social emotional well-being, right? And a lot of times for those younger girls that didn't have that parent at home to help them navigate Zoom or whatever virtual setting they were gonna have. And I think about, I have an 11 year old daughter and she was 10 when this happened. I saw it firsthand how difficult it was for her to navigate that. And I'm thinking, I'm educated. I, I, you know, I'm pretty resourceful. And the challenges that she had in navigating that were really important. And as a mom, just thinking like the world, you know, making sure that the world is a better place for my daughter as she gets older and goes into the world of work or career, whatever it is that she chooses to do so. Yeah, that's great. Well, a lot of a lot of good takeaways there. I hope you guys were taking notes. <laughs> Let's see, did we share, we did share your website, right? Because I do want to direct people, anyone that wants to check it out or learn more. And Lucy, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. This was just a really great conversation. Absolutely. I really appreciated it. Thank you. And everybody, thank you for tuning in. I hope you go make it a great day. 
If you're like most women, you have a big dream on your heart and really want to make a positive impact in the lives of others. But self-doubt, fear, or other limiting beliefs often get in your way. What many women don't realize is that the one thing that can catapult them forward is deepening their self-love and self-esteem. So I have a free ebook for you that's really going to help you in this area. It's called 30 Days to Deepen Self-Love, and you can download it at the link in our show notes. Enjoy.